Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. When we pray, we pray so minuscule. We pray so small. Oh Lord, you know, please go before me. I just, I can almost picture God in heaven going, that's what you're going to ask me? You you know, you just want me to bless your your meeting tomorrow, your interview tomorrow? Do you have any idea what I could do? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Esther. When was the last time you came before God and prayed for something many would find outrageous or simply too big? For many of us, we tend to limit God's capabilities due to the lack of faith in our prayer. In today's message, Pastor J.D. reminds us that no prayer is too big for the God who created the heavens and the earth by His very Word. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. in Esther chapter 6 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Verse 14, then his wife said, she's all just, I mean, incensed, and he goes home. He can't enjoy this invitation to this next banquet that he alone was invited to by the queen, only the king with him, and he can't enjoy it. And so his wife, Zeresh, What a sweetheart. (laughs) And all of his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made 50 cubits high, 75 feet. You can do the math. I'm six feet tall and shrinking, so just six times whatever. 75 feet, that's quite a ways up there. And in the morning, first thing in the morning, honey, uh, suggest to the king that Mordechai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman, of course it did. So he had the gallows made. I don't think he slept that night in anticipation of going first thing in the morning to the king, so that he'd get this Mordechai dealt with once and for all. I don't want to be too graphic, but I think it would be good to understand a little bit about how evil and cruel these gallows were. I know in the movies, and I watched one, I wish I didn't, because it's so incorrect, and it's it's not true to the biblical text, but, you know, they show the, the, the hangman's loose, the rope. That's not what this was. This was a 75-foot high stake that they would impale, them on, not hang them on, impale them on. The only thing I can think of that would even come close to the cruelty and the evil would be the Roman crucifixion. Uh, and I would suggest that this might even be more cruel than even crucifixion. Uh, by the way, keep in mind, this is what the Amalekites would do to the Israelites. They would impale them. They would put, I don't want, again, I don't want to get too graphic. Let me let Adam Clark do it for me. Here's his description. Listen to this. 
A pointed stake is set upright in the ground, and the culprit is taken, placed on the sharp point, and then pulled down by his legs till the stake that went in at the fundament passes up through the body and comes out through the neck. A most dreadful species of punishment in which revenge and cruelty may glut the utmost of their malice. The culprit lives, and this is why it's so evil, the culprit lives a considerable time in excruciating agonies. They don't die that quickly once they're impaled on these, these gallows. And this is what Haman wants to do to Mordechai, the Jew. This is what he wants to do to him. Well, chapter 6, verse 1. That night, the king could not sleep. So, one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles. Boring! <laughs> and they were read before the king. Boy, that'll put you to sleep if anything will, right? Reading the chronicles. Well, a couple thoughts here on... Verse 1, the first of which has to do with the king's insomnia. I mean, obviously, this is a divinely appointed insomnia. It was God who kept this king from sleeping that night. And think about this. This is the king, man. He could have done anything he wanted when he couldn't sleep, But God, (laughs) but God directing that water down the stream, the heart of the king, put it on his heart to ask for the historical records. And don't you find it interesting that it's on the same night after the first banquet, prior to the second banquet? Oh, so glad Esther waited. So glad Esther waited because this is going to be instrumental in what's about to happen. Verse 2, and it was found written that Mordechai had told of Bichthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Azurus, and this is not to lay hands on him to pray, (laughs) this is lay hands on him to kill him. This was an assassination attempt that Mordecai had learned of earlier, and we were told of this earlier. Then the king said, verse 3, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? I mean, this Mordecai saved my life. What did we ever do for this guy? Is it recorded there in the chronicles? Tell me. And the king's servants who attended him said, King, sorry. Nothing has been done for him. Now this is very bad. In that kingdom, in that day, an assassination attempt on the king's life, and someone learns of it and saves the king's life, and nothing was ever done for this man? Well, to me, this is amongst the most fascinating examples of God's providence in the entirety of Scripture. I can think of, of one other. I mean, there are, of course, many. The Scriptures are replete with accounts such as this. But uh, I think of Joseph, the providential hand of God in the life 
of Joseph from the pit to the pinnacle over a period of 17 years. All of the evil that was done against him. And in Genesis 50, verse 21, of my favorite verses in all the Bible, when he finally reveals his identity to his brothers, who left him for dead and then sold him into slavery, and then ate dinner after they threw him into the pit, if you can imagine that, while he's screaming. And he reveals his identity to them, and he says to them, what you meant for evil, you meant it for evil, but God, I love those two words, (laughs) but God meant it for good for the salvation of many this day. In other words, Haman, you meant this for evil. These gallows are meant for evil. This edict that you got the king to issue irrevocable to exterminate the Jews, you meant it for evil. But God is about to, as only he can, change everything. In an instant. With the snap of his fingers. And that's exactly what's about to happen. Think about this. Okay. Don't imagine these chronicles, you know, there's a few scrolls over here in this cabinet in the corner of the palace. No. There were thousands of them. What are the chances that the king's men are going to go to that one scroll and amongst thousands of scrolls and read this exact account from within the pages of that one particular scroll. Can you imagine? They go in there. Again, I I was thinking about this as I was preparing the study. And I, I hope this doesn't sound weird, but I imagine God in that library, if you will, taking the hand of the king's men and guiding it in the realm of the supernatural to the exact scroll. I mean, it would be like if they were about to pick the wrong one, you know, the one that didn't have Mordechai in it. I, I can just imagine the guy going, no, nah, not that one. Let's, let's get him this one. This one looks really boring. This will put him to sleep. We've got to get the king to sleep. And, and, and God just, you know, in the supernatural, just grabbing the hand of this man and grabbing that scroll. And then they get it back to the king. Okay, king, we got a we got a good one here, man. You're going down, baby. You're going to sleep on this one. This one looks super boring. So they start reading, blah, 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 blah. And the king, you know, his eyes are getting heavy. Uh, oh, then they get to this one. This is a, a little bit intriguing. We got some intrigue here. Oh, and so then there was this assassination attempt on the king's life. Can you imagine as they're reading this? Oh, this isn't boring at all. And then there's this Mordecai guy that learned of it and saved the king's life. And the king's wide awake now. What? What? Read that again. What happened? Wait, I remember that. Wait, did we ever do anything for this guy? No. Are you kidding me? He saved my life. Now I can't sleep for sure. (laughs) We got to get this guy rewarded. Well, good thing. That's exactly what's about to happen. Verse 4. So the king said, now imagine, uh, it's already now about dawn in the morning. It's early in the morning. And the king said, verse 4, who is in the court? We, don't need, we need to get on this. Now. Now, Haman, 
(laughs) What a coincidence, right? Please don't agree that this was a coincidence. (laughs) Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordechai, the guy that the king just read about that saved his life, that heretofore has gone unrewarded. And so Haman is there bright and early to suggest that the king hang Mordechai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servants, verse 5, said to him, Haman is here, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. (laughs) Haman's going, (laughs) he has no idea what just happened a few hours before. The very man that he's going to suggest that the king hang on the gallows that he has prepared is the very man that the king just had read the account of him saving his life. You'll forgive my firm grasp of the obvious, but God, but God has perfectly orchestrated the timing of Haman's entrance at this exact moment. I wonder uh, how much sleep Haman got that night. We know the king didn't get any sleep. I wonder how well Mordechai and Esther slept. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they were up all night praying in anticipation of the banquet. Just a few hours yet future. I wonder if they were praying. I can assure you they weren't praying. Let the king not be able to sleep. Let him command his man to go get the most boring chronicle, the one that they think is boring, but the exact one that has the record of how Mordechai saved. And then and let Haman go home and let his wife, Lord, as she's praying, as Mordechai is praying, Let his wife and his friends and his family tell him to build a gallows to hang me on, hang Mordecai on, so that the king, when he wants to reward Mordecai, will find out what's really happening here, and it'll be Haman. You think they're praying that? I can assure you they're not. They could not even in their wildest imagination conceive of that. And what I love about that is this. When we pray, we pray so Minuscule. We pray so small. Oh Lord, you know, please go before me. <laughs> I just, I can almost picture God in heaven going, that's what you're going to ask me? You said, you know, you just want me to bless your, your meeting tomorrow, your interview tomorrow? <laughs> oh, do you have any idea what I could do in that meeting? I can do anything. I can do anything. That only God could do this. Let's just say that they were able to sleep. Maybe they were. Sometimes God will grant us sleep, even when we're in a very stressful situation. I had one of those nights recently where I just prayed, God, I know that I will wake up in the middle of the night and I will start thinking about this thing again, and I will not be able to go back to sleep. So please, God. Don't let me stay up 
then I'll have to have Chronicles read to me, and then I'll try to, you know. And it's just, it just let me sleep, and he let me sleep. And I woke up in the morning refreshed, just thanking him for letting me sleep. Maybe they did that. Maybe they were able to sleep. And God, even while we're sleeping, God never sleeps, right? So while they're sleeping, God is at work. And you know what's so fascinating to me at this juncture? None of them have any idea about what's going to happen in just a moment. A man doesn't know what's about to happen. Boy, if he only knew, he's about to find out. The king doesn't know what's going to happen. He, he calls Haman in because he wants to reward Mordecai. Haman is there going in because he wants to hang Mordecai. How's that one? How about that? And they have no idea that God's... That's what you think. That's what you think is going to happen. Oh, Mordecai will get rewarded, but Haman is going to be the one that's going to be impaled on the very gallows he prepared for Mordecai. Mordecai doesn't know what's about to happen either. I believe Mordecai, as a man of God who trusted God, who knew God, because he knew that God will deliver his people, whether Esther obeyed or not, right? So I knew... I believe that Mordecai knew God was going to work this out somehow. He just didn't know how. He didn't know the way he was going to do it. He didn't know how he was going to do it. He just knew by faith that he was going to do it. And then Esther. Do you think that Esther has any idea what's about to happen? She probably is up early now, getting her people ready, all of her servants, preparing this banquet where she is now going to expose this plot by Haman. So verse 6, let me just say this, preface it this way, things are about to get real, (laughs) really fast. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Oh, Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Because remember, it's all about me. And Haman answered the king. Now he's going to get very detailed, and you could just imagine in his mind that he's, he's envisioning himself having this, this is really quite, <laughs> quite an honor. He's like, oh, well, I'm so glad you asked, king. Here's what I would do. For the man whom the king delights to honor, verse 8, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest on its head. Man, this guy's too much. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him 
on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Wow. Now keep in mind that he at this point is still thinking that he's going to get the king to approve that Mordechai be hung on the gallows. He could not even have imagined that he is going to be honored by the king. Oh, this is just too good. I'm going to get Mordecai on that gallows, and I'm going to get on that horse, and I'm going to be paraded through the city square in front of all of these people as the one whom the king desires to honor. It doesn't get any better than this. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad my wife suggested this. I need to listen to my wife more. (laughs) Yeah, you do, but for (laughs) different reasons. And verse 10, oh my. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, okay? Take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so. Yeah? Wait for it. (laughs) Haman, here it comes. Wait for it. Mordechai the Jew, who sits within the king's gate. And then he says, I cannot, in my wildest imagination, imagine how he would have felt at that. I don't even know if he heard (laughs) this part, (laughs) because remember how detailed it was? A crest, it needs to be shined, polished, you know, with that brass and gold polish that we have, and you know, and the robe needs to be your robe, king. And the horse, uh, it needs to be your horse, king. And then the, the prince, the noble prince, this is the one that needs to array him and proclaim him as he's paraded. And, and so the king says, leave nothing undone of all, because there was a lot <laughs> that you have spoken. <laughs> this is one of those places in the Word of God where I would do anything to be a proverbial fly on the wall to see the expression on Haman's face. Man, I would take a picture on my iPhone and I would post it on social media (laughs) and it would go viral. And don't look at me like that because you would do the same thing if you were there, right? That look when you realize that your goose has just been cooked. (laughs) What an incredible life Esther led. Her courage and faith saved an entire nation from destruction and gives us an example to follow when life becomes a trial. In our own times of difficulty, do we turn to God or away from Him? Esther chose to seek God and we'll continue to see the results of that decision in the next edition of In Spirit and Truth. As you journey on your own path of faith, we want you to know that we're praying for you. We would like to ask if you, in turn, would intercede for us. Please pray that we keep our focus on advancing God's kingdom and that our hearts would always be open to God's leading. 
Please join us in praying for those who will tune in just like you to In Spirit and Truth, that they would be touched by their Creator and turn their lives toward Him. Thanks for joining us in this way. If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more from Pastor J.D., find us online at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click Listen at the top of the page. We have a convenient way for you to stay connected. Did you know you can take in Spirit and Truth on the go by downloading our mobile app? In our fast-paced world, it's easy to let the time we spend in the Bible go to the back of the line compared to the things we need to get done each day. When you download our mobile app, you'll have verse-by-verse studies in the Bible available right at your fingertips, available to listen to whenever and wherever you go. You'll find a link to the app at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. That's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.